Hello there, and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... It's me, Candice Lepage. Candice, I have to ask, is it starting to look a lot like Christmas? It sure is. It's really, really beautiful out the window. I wish I was outside playing rather than <laughs> inside talking about movies. <laughs> I mean... Those feel like two of some of my favorite things, so I guess I can't really complain too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, of course the Hallmark movies are playing 24-7 at your house? No, not 24-7, just, you know, like one a day or something. <laughs> okay, that still seems excessive to me, but okay. Um, moving right along, and Credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We are here every Wednesday at 3pm to talk about the latest in pop culture and review the, review the newest movies which this week will be the new superhero sequel slash Chadwick Boseman memorial film, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. And that's going to be in the back half of the show. For the first half, we're going to do something we haven't done in a while, and that is look at some movie news from the last week. And I'm not going to introduce them all at once here. We're going to take them one at a time. We're going to have a kind of laid back news segment. Um, so we're going to start with this one, which was, uh, I think it's the cover story in Variety, because since I don't get the physical variety i only read it online like normal people um at least people not in hollywood where they probably still feverishly get that physical copy but um is there even a physical copy anymore i guess there is yes yeah variety magazine definitely does still okay okay entertainment weekly is not weekly anymore that's what was (laughs) yeah like mind blown how does that happen but whatever Mm -hmm. yeah all right, so th- uh, the cover story this week is about Anthony and Joe Russo, who you may know as those guys who make all those Avengers movies. And uh, boy, uh, do they have a head of steam about themselves. A lot of people are mentioning this one quote um, where they talk about um, essentially uh, how the movie industry is going to change. And th- so this is a direct quote from Joe Russo. Filmmaking is going to transform into some other medium. I don't know what that media is going to be. My guess is that when you sit down in your house, turn on one of those, turn to one of the actors that is standing in front of you and say, hey, Tom Cruise, hold on a second. Tell me about you, how you filmed this scene. And the AI fuel Tom Cruise can turn to you and start explaining. It's over at that point, right? That's when technology will dominate whatever new form of storytelling is coming. Um, C- Candace, you're a longtime Tom Cruise fan. Uh, does that sound <laughs> appealing to you? <clears throat> So, yes, let me start by saying there will never be a real or AI version of Tom Cruise in my living room. Um, That's right. I just, I, just I, I feel like I have a lot of thoughts and, and nowhere, to, nowhere to start with this whole article. Um, point one being, um, boy, could I have been less interested in reading an article? Like, this took me, I'm still not really through it. I was sort of skimming it. And then I was like, where's the Tom Cruise part that he talks about? And what's going on here? Um, (laughs) It's near the bottom. They made you wait for it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, thanks. Um, But yeah, I, um, it's, as well as the fact that there would never be an AI Tom Cruise in my home, uh, you will also probably not see on my screen Avengers Endgame or Infinity War or Civil War, uh, Captain America Civil War. Mm Mm-hmm very often uh Mm. i've watched all of those films twice uh Mm. 
Civil War I've only actually seen once and, and mm. didn't actually even complete it any of the t- any of the times I've tried. So maybe I haven't even watched it once, but <laughs> I saw Infinity War and Endgame in the theater and uh, I believe that I did rewatch them when I just did like a massive MCU rewatch. Uh, so I just, I don't have a lot of brother, a lot of love for what the Russo brothers do in general. Mm. So I found it hard to be interested in this article and find an entry point. Um, and I just, as I sort of kept reading through it, I'm like, I think the point of this is them talking about this a- AGBO yeah, their production, production company. company, I think they yeah. have, and how it's like, you know, so innovative and at the, it's in this place that's like so different from everything else. And I just can't figure out what it is they think is so different. I mean, even mm-hmm. this bizarre quote of theirs about turning to an AI Tom Cruise to ask him how he filmed these stunt fights and then having the AI answer him. I was like, this is still not all that different. This used to be just called a commentary track. Yeah. And yeah. is in fact what I would say that us as film buffs just really, really want streaming services to provide somehow. Like, I just, yeah. Uh, as a person who spent probably five years on a podcast <laughs> where I reviewed web series, which were very unique at the time it was Mm -hmm. short form storytelling online through youtube only typically you know totally free Mm -hmm. all this sort of stuff um even that which you know i would argue was was very innovative even that was still just like it's not that different you're still just storytelling Mm -hmm. and the medium is still sort of the same even though sure it's free on youtube and it's shorter so you've got to adjust the way that you tell the story so that you're you know not just cutting something up into three minutes you're actually making a three minute like scene for someone to come back for it's still at its core it's still the same thing so the medium that it happens on i mean even if we look into the star trek when these you know (laughs) the holodeck it's still mm-hmm. storytelling. You're, you're just part of it. It's just like mm. like live action role play. It's <laughs> Yeah. What are you talking, Russo Brothers? Where where is this I don't understand. <laughs> if it's I, them or if it's someone else talking about them feeling like they're so innovative and they're at the cutting a- edge and that they're willing to just follow this path for as long it, as it takes them. <laughs> here's here's the thing I think about what the article shows. These are two people who are incredibly self-doubting about themselves and their abilities. Because, I mean, they do do stand with those four Marvel movies they did, essentially as two of the most successful directors of all time. And I think they understand deep down any competent director with the tools at the, the at their disposal that they made those movies with probably could have executed those movies exact with the exact same amount of um ability that those movies were execute, executed with i mean it's essentially building on the work that i mean there's a stable of artists at marvel who tend to work on all the movies 
there's uh you know talent that's brought in by others other filmmakers you know all the uh other movies and in, in you know in the franchise you know other directors are choosing actors to fill roles it's very easy to sort of walk into that environment i will i will give a slight caveat to winter soldier because i think there there is some degree of artistry there but when you get into civil war where it's just essentially avengers 2.5 and then the 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 subsequent avengers movies it's like it, it it was all there you just someone gave you the pieces you just had to look at the picture on the box and then put the puzzle together and I think this is what they're and what what they're kind of keenly aware of, and you see this sort of reflected in their subsequent work. They did this movie Cherry on Apple, which I don't think anyone realized was a thing, um, and then they did this movie on Netflix, The Gray Man, which Netflix says, "Hey, it's like one of our most streamed things," but it's just it's just this bland thing that if it was released in theaters, it probably would have bombed because it's just so bland and unengaging and. Um, and now they're going to create a franchise out of it. And, you know, all of this on top of it, you know, they tried this years ago with the matrix. Remember the matrix sequels, there was the movies, there was the video game, there was the animatrix, there was um, comics. And they all sort of tied together to tell the complete story. And the audience was like, I don't want to do homework. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to like, you know, I want to watch a movie, show me the movie. And, you know, lost became that too. And, you know, uh, it wasn't just about watching a TV show every week. It was about, I got to get the DVD box set to see the supplementals. I got to see this other thing. I got to read this book. I got to play the online game. You know, I, I really think they're underestimating just how immersed people want to be in, in in some of these stories that they're making this sort of a plank. It's like, we're not just creating a movie. We're creating a franchise and we're going to have a game and we're going to have this and we're going to have that. And it's like the most telling line in the interview is like when one of them said we're futurists, which is just like a, one of those completely <laughs> meaningless words. <laughs> so it's like, yep. yeah, we're futurists. It's like, no, you're not. Especially when he says, uh, I have this highlighted here. I'm telling you what I see as a guy who's been in this business for 25 years, humble brag. I don't know what the market is going to be able to support art house films the way that it did in the past. And it's like, are you aware that you produced one of the most successful art house films of the last several years and everything everywhere all at once? Um, not only is it incredibly successful for an art house film, it's I think it made like $80 million at the box office, but it's also like the number one hit from the major Hollywood art house studio, A24. It's their most successful film. So it's like, are you are you aware of of the work you're doing? It, it doesn't seem like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's it, I I find the interview an interesting artifact about uh, of two guys who you know won the lottery and um, are trying to explain that uh, they didn't just walk into the gas station and buy a ticket that they put a lot of thought <laughs> into the numbers they chose or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to news item number two, which is uh, an interview with Steven Spielberg. Might have heard of him, young up and coming filmmaker. Um, he did an interview with the New York Times, and he actually did an interview with Fresh Air, which I don't think he's ever done before. So, um, anyway, 
Um, he was talking about the day and date release of Warner Brothers movies, which in the United States uh, last year, because we don't get HBO Max here in Canada, but in the United States last year, H- uh, Warner Brothers released movies in theaters and on HBO Max the same day. So if you subscribe to HBO Max, you've also got to see, I think it was for a month, uh, a movie that you otherwise would only be able to see in theaters. So um, that was movies like Kong versus Godzilla and Dune. And um, I can't think of another movie off the top of my head, but obviously this was uh, something that um, made a lot of like really well-known film actors angry is one of the reasons why Christopher Nolan's now working through a different studio producing his next movie. And I, what I will appreciate, what I say, I appreciate about uh, Spielberg's comments here. He did admit that, you know, um, he isn't one of these like theatrical absolutists, even though he's still essentially promoting the theatrical experience. Uh, he, and he did say that one of his own movies probably would have done better on streaming, which I think is surprisingly, um, Surprisingly, um, I don't know. Refreshing? Well, it's definitely refreshing in in that it's very pragmatic of somebody in Spielberg's position because either you get like the the Tarantinos is like theater only or you get like the Russo brothers who are like theater's dead. So, (laughs) And (laughs) it also shows someone who actually does understand the medium. Yeah. (laughs) And what, what works best on which medium because there are, you know, different things and and of course he's saying that his film uh the post would have been better on streaming which mm-hmm. i think actually spielberg has a lot of films that would probably be better on on streaming because he does slower moving dramatical films sometimes mm-hmm. which is just not what people are going to the movie theater for anymore but people do still want to see those films Mm-hmm. They just don't want to spend, you know, $75 <laughs> for, you know, a night out to go see a, a, a talkie. <laughs> I'm just going to rebrand that. <laughs> no, no, I think that's, I think that's fair. I, I think he, Spielberg also mentioned Elvis, which is an interesting artifact from this year because it's, it's exactly the type of movie that shouldn't be a hit anymore. It's, you know, it kind of experimental. It's, it's, it's an auteurish vision because it's from, comes from Baz Luhrmann. Um, it's also about Elvis Presley, who, I mean, what's the cultural cachet of Elvis Presley now? I think, you know, everybody knows his songs, but it's not like um, there's, it's not like there's really anything left to say about Elvis, but people still went out to the theater to see a, a movie about Elvis, which is interesting. It, it, I guess, I guess what maybe Spielberg's trying to get at in this is that um, I guess in the future people are going to have to think hard, and I don't mean like movie viewers. I think movie viewers are already kind of making decisions about what they want to see in theaters, but at, from a studio level, from a production level, a distributor level, like how do you decide? Like what is a quote unquote streaming movie, and what is a quote unquote theatrical movie, or what is like maybe both um you know years ago studios were experimenting with you know things like art house movies like well if you live somewhere where there isn't an art house and you want to see you know uh to pull a title out of thin air something like decision to leave um which is kind of an art making the rounds in their art house right now if you don't live somewhere where there's a rep cinema or an art house cinema uh and you want to see that you know 
would it not be better to make that available for people to be able to see through a streaming platform? Yeah, well, and I mean, arguably on the other end, I would mm. like to see movie theaters showing those films more. I mean, I just don't understand and I don't I can't believe it's actually that profitable to have you know a 12 screen cinema and mm. have 10 of those screens playing the same movie mm -hmm. like if I went like going to see Black Panther I, I could have gone to like I can't even count how many showings of that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and sure my my screening was pretty full um, but you know and I went sort of in the evening, but I suspect if I had gone to one of the earlier showings, or even if I go maybe throughout the week, it's 12, like, or, you know, 10 screens showing the same thing mm -hmm. isn't going to bring in that many people. Like, mm -hmm. show other movies on the screen. I would go, I would go to the theater more often if there was actually choice of what to see. Mm -hmm. But it's like, okay, my choice is, uh, I've got like four movies that I can choose from. Mm -hmm. Or I could stay home and I could watch countless films, films that just came out like this year, films mm -hmm. that, you know, never even came to the theater here. Um, so I just, I think theaters need to change their models a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but then the one thing that, that I found interesting about this is that Spielberg says at one point <clears throat> that... And I agree with him that there is value to going to theater. There's something different mm. about watching a movie in the theater. Um, I think his experience in the theater is different from my experience in the theater, though, because he says, <laughs> this is one, once they got into the theater, the magic of being in a social situation with a bunch of strangers is a tonic. Mm. And I would say my least favorite time to go to the theater is when there's a billion people in there. Like... I I like going to a fairly empty <laughs> screening. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it feels, first of all, it feels kind of special. It's like, oh, this whole movie is playing just for me. But I also don't have to deal with a lot of things. Like, we're humans. We all have different opinions on what's okay and what's not okay during a movie screening. Yeah. And while I did see Black Panther last night at a, you know, 6.30 showing, it was packed, absolutely packed. The audience was really good. Like, I did not have a bad experience then. Mm -hmm. There have been other times. In fact, I went to go see Halloween, actually, at a morning screening. And um, people sat, like, we all choose our, our seats ahead of time. They're mm -hmm. all chosen. Mm -hmm. I choose the same seat all the time, which is right <laughs> in the front. Um, <laughs> it's the first showing of the day. Absolutely empty, empty, empty theater. Two women are sitting down in the exact same seats as I am, just like one seat over. Basically, same row. There's one seat in between us. And I was just like, you know what? Uh, I'm just, I'm going to go sit over here. They're like, no, it's fine. We saw that, you know, this seat was taken. So we made sure to leave room because whatever. I guess they like sitting in the front too, and that's okay. <laughs> so I was like, all right, that's fine. So it feels a little weird that like we're the only three people in the theater and we're all in the same row, but whatever. But then, the two of them talked. I mean, they oh. talked about the movie. Like, they talked about the movie. They were clearly having a good time. Yeah. They're clearly very big fans of Halloween. Mm -hmm. But they were also, you know, they were friends sort of seeing a movie together and chit-chatting. And I'm like, you know, like, we could have been, we could have been a little bit further apart for this. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys knew you wanted to see a movie and then chit chat about it, and and that's fine. That's fine. You didn't have to sit right beside me to do that. <laughs> well, to go back to Spielberg's comments too, I think the communal experience he's talking about um quite different from what you're talking about i think that's one of the reasons why horror movies continue to be so successful is like horror mo- watching a horror movie is better in that communal setting like uh, you know like writing the reaction of the audience um you know all jumping at the same thing yeah. and laughing at the at the same stuff like i think i think that's the tonic he's talking about but you're right like there are like terrible experiences in the theater i remember watching godzilla king of the monsters um and it was like a weekday night show and it was pre-pandemic obviously but it was a weekday night show so it wasn't that busy but there was a guy in the front row who was looking at his phone every like five (laughs) minutes and so i had i had like had enough and so and it's, it's the big climax it's the big finale he's looking at his phone and because of the light from the phone it sticks out in the blackness and it's the screen is dark as it's a, the final fight it's at night and i'm just like i have to scream at the top of my lungs over the roars of godzilla saying shut <laughs> off your phone you in the front row shut off your phone <laughs> because you're ruining it's ruining the enjoyment of godzilla king of the monsters and it's yeah. When you think about those things, you like, you know what? This the, the vaunted s- sacrament of the communal movie going theatrical experience, maybe not so much. <laughs> yeah, no. I and you're taking a chance every time because I agree yeah. there are times that it is a, a movie is better and horror movies are a good example. They are better with more people. Yeah. However, you're still taking a chance. Still taking a chance. Mm-hmm. And you know, is it that much better than if you saw it at home, or you could see it at home with a bunch of people? There's nothing to say that you're not going to invite over, you know, ten people and all watch the streaming version on the same day instead of going to the theater. Yeah, and th- there's value in that too. And um, th- that was uh, there was a recent episode of Otsterian, the Otsterian podcast, where they're talking about like having a crowd over to watch Halloween ends uh, on on streaming. And that seemed like a perfectly good time uh, for mm. everybody. So, all right. Uh, one last item before we move on to the review this week. Uh, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences has decided that uh, Apollo 10 and a half, a space age childhood, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, and Eternal Spring, which is actually a Canadian film, an animated documentary, um, are all eligible for the animated feature film category for this year's Oscars. Uh, there was some doubt about Apollo ten and a half because it is uh, all rotoscoped um, in keeping with Richard Linklater's um, Waking Life and A Scanner Darkly. And then um, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On is a mockumentary that has live action elements that mixed in with the animation. So um, it's interesting to note here that uh, the Motion Picture Academy is kind of loosening the rules because... The the rules currently state the Academy defines an animated film as a motion picture in which movement and characters performances are created using a frame by frame technique and usually falls into one of the two general fields of animation, narrative or abstract, which is both very specific and very um, broad. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. As I was sort of reading a little bit more about this and I actually went and started looking into the different animation styles and stuff. I mean, I think I think all of these films should be 
nominated i mm-hmm. like i think it's a good choice but it's also just like but why wouldn't they have been to begin with like mm. what 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 were they trying to do with this animation like uh, presumably it was just created so that disney walt disney could start winning you know <laughs> awards constantly yeah <laughs> yeah um but like i don't believe they ever had a moment doubt when Toy Story suddenly is a computer generated, you know, mm-hmm. like compute like they they didn't have to go like fan themselves going, oh no, what do we do now? It's not cell animation. <laughs> I mean, maybe they did and I don't remember, but it's I mean If I remember, I think Toy Story got like a special Oscar even for breaking new ground. I'm looking it up right yeah. now. So go on. Um but yeah, I mean, the Academy has been changing rules around a lot of things. So mm. good for them for also looking at some of their other categories. I mean, they adjusted, they had to adjust over the um, pandemic on some of their eligibility because it was that the films had to premiere in both New York and LA. And there were fewer things that were doing mm. that during a pandemic. Mm-hmm. So good, good for them. I think they just really... And I think this is sort of the case with a lot of things. You just have to go back to like, what what is it that we're trying to do? And presumably they're trying to celebrate the, you know, in quotation marks, best (laughs) work (laughs) that, you know, Hollywood is producing. Because we know it's not really outside of Hollywood. They have a whole category for foreign films. So, so, you know, what... how just go back to that like how do we how do we decide what is best you know do these things have to compete against each other can they be in their own category i mean this whole thing of you know having a category for animation and then having animated movies actually being you know also up for best oscar it's like yeah if you're up for best oscar then you shouldn't be in the animation category i'm just gonna say like yes (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, you could almost say the same about the the international movie category as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think you're right; these these changes are sort of promoting more diversity. I like if, you, if they don't change the rules for eligibility, I don't think you get two years in a row where a woman wins best director. I oh, think that's yeah. that's a direct response to the the changes caused by the pandemic, and you know that Chloe Zhao wins one year and Jane Campion wins in another year. Um, I, I just feel particularly to note that this was like a really good year for animation and not just like animation in general, but like stop motion animation. Cause you do get Marcel. Um, you also get, um, Wendell and Wall, uh, Wendell and wild, which is the her- new Harry Seldick movie. Um, you get Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. You get, um, mad God, which is like 30 years of work by, <laughs> Phil Tippett, <laughs> a ninety-minute trip through hell. Um, so you know, I, I, I would hate to see. I mean, although you get a really great Pixar movie this year in Turning Red, it, I, I do, I would hate to see it all coming just coming down to another, you know, Rise of Gru versus, I don't know, <laughs> something from Pixar because yeah. you know there's there's a lot of good stuff going on around the edges. Uh, also being produced by netflix who we know that the oscars kind of have a or a lot of hollywood industry and establishment has a store spot for in the way that they've changed the game but uh yeah yeah. 
a positive development to be sure. Mm-hmm. Also, I think I'm going to put uh, Apollo 10 and a half on my to watch list. I had no idea that <laughs> existed, but it looks, it looks fun. Yes, it's definitely belongs in a broader Netflix hidden gems segment like Tim and I did last week. Um, one of those things that <laughs> appears on Netflix one day and then disappears from the banner the next day because they have 10 more things coming out. But um, we're going back to the theater for this week's review. We're going to talk about Black Panther Wakanda Forever coming up next. You are listening to end credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM cfru.ca Guelph Campus and Community Radio Get out of my door. Get out. Hey. I'm warning you, do not take another step toward me. See how they teach the children to treat their guests. Mm. Hey, 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 put it down, put it, you hurt yourself. Come on. It's all right, princess. Small, small girl. I am going to give you two options. You can come to Wakanda, conscious or unconscious. You need to be conscious of the way that you look. Walking around here with that ash on your head. <laughs> oh, it's funny. No. It's not. Mm-hmm. I told you. You look good. And that was a clip from Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. It's the new film from writer-director Ryan Coogler, and it stars Leticia Wright, Lupita Nyong'o, Danae Guerrera, Winston Duke, Dominique Thorne, Tenak Huerta Maya, Martin Freeman, and Angela Bassett. And uh, this was originally going to be an Angela Bassett Appreciation Hour Um <laughs> But I mean, I I think she does deserve it. Uh, th- th- this was um, a really great showcase for her as uh, the Queen Mother of Wakanda, because of course uh, Chadwick Boseman, who starred as Black Panther in Black Panther, passed away from colon cancer a couple of years ago. Uh, a, a battle that he mostly suffered in um, silence. He did not publicly disclose that he had colon cancer. He persevered. Uh, still a very busy working actor. Um, he was, uh, I can't remember if he was nominated for both of his last movies, um, <laughs> for the, the five blood. No, I think, I don't think he was nominated for the five bloods. I think I thought he should have been nominated for the five bloods. Um, but, uh, that's neither here nor there. Um, but yeah, so this, this movie's coming out with a sort of a deep well of, um, sadness and loss, uh, but maybe a bit of controversy as well. Should, Black Panther had, or T'Challa, I should say, had been just recast, or um, was this an appropriate way to go? So why don't we start there? Um, Candice, what did you think about uh, the the memorial side of, of Black Panther Wakanda Forever? Yeah, I, I think um, 
Yeah, I think they had to do it this way. There's absolutely no way they could have recast him. Um, and, you know, just from an actual storytelling point of view, they're moving into a completely different phase and introducing new characters mm. uh, anyways. So, like, why? Well, yeah. Why do something that would never? Yeah, it would just it wouldn't it wouldn't have worked. Um Mm. I think a big part too, of course, is that it's all the same people, including Ryan Coogler, who is mm. part of this. So um, it would have been a disservice to all of them, I think, as well, to not to just sort of move on as though this wasn't like a a really monumental loss. Mm. Like, I, I mean, people die every day, obviously, um, but there was just something about. Chadwick Boseman's death that just really touched a lot of people, you know, because of his role as Black Panther, because of just the person he was. Um, yeah, I, I don't think they could have uh, they could have survived a recasting. It would have mm. <laughs> that might no. have brought down the entire MCU. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure it would have been that catastrophic, but yeah, I I think. Because it was, uh, for lack of a better term, a family affair that it, perhaps it felt uh, uh, more appropriate to, to go the way that they did. I also think it adds uh, a lot of interesting uh, depth to where where the story is going, um, which involves um, people from underwater. <laughs> um, and, and I will say that was kind of one of the most interesting things for me was uh that kugler decided to turn in the comic book namor is uh the king of atlantis they are atlanteans but instead they get a um a background or i guess a rewrite a retcon um they're not atlanteans they are the to where did i write uh, tolokan yes the tolokans um which is a, a kingdom that is essentially uh, of people who are forced out of um, their their lands in Central America pre um, co European contact and eventually co return to the surface at some point to see that uh, the colonial takeover of their uh, their the land that they once inhabited and uh, for some sort of deeper in, entrenched underwater and are threatened again by colonial forces, which is uh, a pretty strong undercurrent in both the first Black Panther and this movie. So it really sets up this interesting dynamic where you have uh, Shuri, the the sister of T'Challa, having you know struggling to um, take over as uh, the the next in line to lead Wakanda, uh, the threat from the outside world, um, epitomied by Richard Schiff of all cockamamie people, Toby Ziegler. <laughs> <laughs> once again, once again, uh, 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 maybe not once again, he, he has played bad guys before, but it is interesting that, uh, you know, Toby Ziegler, the voice of reason from the West wing is the, um, I guess, uh, pragmatic secretary of state for the United States in this one. And then you get uh, the uh, Talokans led by Namor, who, um, let's just say, are uh, fed up with the BS of the surface mm -hmm. world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Rightly so, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I'm, I'm sure this film is going to get 
the same hate from people who don't want politics in their in their you know yeah yeah big fight scenes um <laughs> but uh yeah this was this was just full full of it and interestingly so i'd say like i did really enjoy this film and it's funny because when i first chose it i was like oh like i could have zero interest but it's more because i just have zero, have so little interest in the mcu and mm. even though i've seen all the films it's just like why do we have to have a fight scene every seven to ten minutes i just don't <laughs> like that is not what i want and then, of course, seeing the runtime of two hours and 40 minutes, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be dreadful, like a two hour and 40 minute long MCU film, which means it's going to be at least 35 fight scenes yeah. and 15 minutes of content, um, which, of course, I, I swiftly remembered once I sat down on my seat and started watching the film. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. It's Ryan Coogler. He actually tells stories. Yeah. And sometimes there is some action that actually propels the story forward it's not just there because it's like oh it's time for a fight scene come on now mm -hmm. um but uh so i did really enjoy watching this but at the same time i really took like no enjoyment out of seeing the wakandans <laughs> and the tolokans fighting and yes, even though yes. i totally understand like i understand the point which is that they're actually they're the same and it's the colonizers, the white supremacist sort of, you know, nations, mm -hmm. which are actually the enemy, but they just do what they do best, which is pit the the people against each other. Right. And so I'm just watching it going, I just, I, I, I can't even take any joy, not that I would take joy out of the fight scenes, but I'm just like, oh, I just want these to like, can we just move past it and get back to them? Like talking about how they're going to deal with this because it's really uh yeah i just found it uncomfortable to watch the wakandans and the tolokans fighting yeah although there there is some pretty cool bits uh, i love the little water grenades uh <laughs> and yeah i mean the the very first fight too on the bridge where um uh okoye and shuri and uh uh gosh what's her name the riri, riri? Maybe. Yeah, where they, you know, are first like trying to leave and they they are intercepted by the Tolokans. I mean, that's just a great fight between Okoye and the sort of head warrior guy. I'm not sure if he actually has a name. I'm sure I'm sure he does, but I I do love that guy and I love the scene where I, I that's one of my favorite parts of the the fight at the end or probably my favorite part of the fight at the end is when um Okoye sees the the big burly um to Loken guy and it's like oh yeah rematch time <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> where it's it's kind of mostly about like two warriors you know proving that they could kick the other one's butt but yeah i mean it's basically watching uh you know carl weathers and uh <laughs> arnold schwarzenegger shake hands via arm wrestle until someone <laughs> backs right. down <laughs> that's right um yeah uh that's good good reference no the i i agree with you about that that sort of the weakest parts of this the also i think it's the weakest part of the first film is the sort of the climax sequence where it becomes cgi garbage and um it loses that kind of subtlety of uh the the broader issues that ryan coogler wants to talk about and i i i think that in this movie too looking at the entire oeuvre especially in the recent mcu films um 
there's definitely a different style at work here, and it's so very subtle. Subtle. I mean, there's humor, but it's not bash you over the head humor like some of the stuff mm-hmm. in uh, other movies. Like even the Eternals movie, which has Chloe Zhao working for it. Um, it, it seems like she was not entirely trusted to tell the movie she wanted because you get a lot of these stupid self-referential gags like when they're talking about like who's gonna lead the avengers now and it's like i don't i don't care like you shouldn't care about the avengers either you're seven thousand year old robots um there's a spoiler alert (laughs) it's been out for a go go watch it on disney plus but no it's there's a confidence that kugler has i think there's a reciprocal confidence um from marvel and like letting kugler do what he wants um so like a lot of this feels very low key it doesn't feel over the top uh there's humor but it's not bashing you over the head there's action but the point isn't the action the point is the bigger ideas you get this entire sequence where namor takes uh shiri to uh the city and you spend a lot of time looking at these you know happy people just living under the sea interestingly there was a little mermaid trailer in front of <laughs> yes forever, yes. so it felt like maybe a tease life is so much better under the sea there, i also received an avatar trailer before um which is also about blue people underwater yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you also get like these like the the whole sequence where namor talks about his origins and his the origins of the of uh the talokins um which is mostly unnarrated or very like quietly narrated it's 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 all in the sort of reactions and things and you know it's a very quiet sequence um that it it focuses on the emotion of it when they come out of the water and they see the conquistadors just like laying waste to everything it it hits you like a ton of bricks it's um you know the 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 racist uh jab at namor when he um, comes to the surface for the first time it's um, it, it is all just filled with ideas, and that's what the film is mostly interested. In. It has to have these other things, though, because it's a Marvel movie, and mm-hmm. th- those are the least interesting parts. I I will say too. I think one of the other, um, the other biggest sort of theme is, I mean, obviously it's grief, but not mm. grief so much as, um, like depression like Mm. shuri who you know as you say in the first film was actually most of the humor really came from her Mm. um and she is not funny in this film at all yeah um because she's just she's just depressed like she is in a deep dark place and is not coming out of it and a lot of the film is about trying to get her out because everybody recognizes it everybody can see that the death of her brother first has made her so mm-hmm. lost mm-hmm. um and then and then it just continues and she just keeps losing more and more mm-hmm. i mean even to the point where when she does take the herb and then goes to meet her ancestors it just crushes her even more because mm-hmm. of who she meets and yeah 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 and it's just it's um it's really well done it's very it's hard to watch and it's well done and it also again it also really feeds the story you can see you can see how her her sadness and her loss is all of her decisions are coming from that 
Yeah, and it gives a lot of the other characters um, some place to jump off of too, because you have um, R- Ramonda, the the queen, uh, trying to fill the void uh, left by the death of her husband, the death of her son, uh, wanting to encourage Shiri to get back out there, but also is worried about her getting back out there and sending her on missions and things. Um, Okoya is a little more uh, kind of forceful and like, yeah, let's get out there and you know, let's you know tackle the, the problems facing Wakanda you also I, I think the MVP uh, of this is uh, Winston Duke as Mbaku mm-hmm. who is like this fearsome kind of presence in the first film he's kind of antagonistic towards T'Challa but in this he he takes on that kind of big brother role and I mean I can, speaking of humor when he comes in uh, the first scene where you see Mbaku and he comes in and he's eating a carrot. Eating a <laughs> carrot? Yeah, it's great. It's a great callback. <laughs> it's a great callback, yeah. And, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, him, because Winston Duke's a big burly guy, but to, and I saw somebody on Twitter mention this, that, you know, here's a representation of black masculinity that is not typical of black masculinity, especially when you look like Winston Duke, that um, there's something very sensitive about him while also conveying strength. And there is that great um, sequence later in the film at a funeral where he is providing this sort of brotherly shoulder to Shuri, um, which, you know, also has, I mean, that's one of the great things about this film. It feels like it's actually building on what was set up in the last film instead of just building on random stuff we can now do um to to further and advance the universe it's it's a progression and the the winston duke character is a great example of that because he was antagonistic in the film becomes and uh, ends up by the end of the film becoming a trusted ally of t'challa and now he's um taking this additional role of sort of being of, of filling that um big brother presence too so uh it's 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 subtle and but it I mean it's also as we're saying, it's it's typical of some some of the ideas and concerns that Ryan Coogler would be more concerned with than the people who are concerned about setting the table of the universe, the broader Marvel universe. Um, this is a real sequel to the first film instead of just being another entry into the overall Marvel universe, which I've lost count. Is this the 30 31st? Marvel. Film? I don't know. And people keep talking about Phase Four, and I'm like, when did Phase Four start? I don't. I don't know. It's the thirtieth. Um, so thirtieth. Yeah. I do. I mean, I agree with you that it is a real sequel, mm-hmm. and um, it does almost nothing mm-hmm. to be part of sort of this phase to tell the stories that are happening outside of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's so small what they have in there with um. Uh, Agent Ross and uh, gosh, I don't even remember her name, but um, uh, Julia Louise Dreyfus, <laughs> Valentina Allegra yeah. de Fontaine. <laughs> right, so many, so many <laughs> names that are just ridiculous. Um, I haven't actually watched all of the. Uh, like, I haven't watched the Winter Soldier and Captain America or whatever they're calling it. Hawk- Falcon. Falcon, yeah, Falcon and the Soldier. Falcon and the Winter Soldier. He's a Captain America. He's not Captain America yeah. until the end. Yeah. I haven't watched any of that, but I know that she plays uh, a role in that. And so she's in this film. So we get a little bit more there. And then, of mm-hmm. course, he, um, I don't actually know if it's the introduction of Riri, because again, I haven't seen her in some of the other things, but she obviously is a character coming in future, yes. future sort of movies. But that's kind of it. And even yeah. the, the, uh, 
Ross and uh, sorry, is it Valentini? Val- Valentina. <laughs> Valentina. <laughs> so many, so many vowels it can end with. Um, <laughs> yeah, even even that stuff is just so. There's so little of it mm-hmm. um, that you could almost like you could you could definitely take it out of the film and it probably wouldn't change much. I would um, agree. Um, and I, I think another thing is that it, and I, I this is definitely a Kugler thing that um, he turns Julia Louis Dreyfus down. He tur- like, like she's been playing it big because I have watched the Falcon mm-hmm. and the Winter Soldier show and that, in, and also in the post credit scene for Black Widow. And both, both of those times I've seen her in other MCU things, she's been playing it big and she's not playing it big here. So I think that's definitely a Kuglerism, if I can coin that phrase. Yeah. That he's he's kind of like just just play it like a normal person. Like you're not like you're <laughs> Yeah, not- well and in fact, because I haven't seen so much of the rest of her her story, I don't know very much about her, but I do know that she's kind of a villain, mm-hmm. sort of. She's mm-hmm. definitely not she's definitely not good, um, we'll say. But in watching her in this, I was like, oh, maybe, maybe I have her a little wrong and she's just kind of um, gray, like shady, but not yeah. like outright bad until, of course, she has the one line where when Ross says, you know, could you imagine what the US would do with that much yeah. vibranium? And she says, I dream of that. I'm I like, think oh, about okay, it every right. night. Got yeah. it. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you are exactly as not very good as i thought you were <laughs> yeah but i mean it also i i think that there's also the, the the subtle jab in there too that you know you can put a pleasant face on colonialism but it's always there like it's just waiting for someone mm-hmm. to kick the mask off and then you you see it like the the 25 phantom of the opera um and then you can't unsee it yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh yeah okay hard pull but yep <laughs> <laughs> but no it's 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 interesting um that yeah uh as as you said riri is uh definitely bookmark her um she's coming back in a iron heart show um but i mean it, it also works her into the movie that's not like obnoxious like um like the like uh a- andy circus in in avengers age of ultron or anything oh, like that it's yeah. it's just like she has a, a legitimate plot worthy reason to be in the in the in the movie mm-hmm. and uh she has an arc and she leaves when, when she leaves the movie different than than how she entered and um I, i'm kind of uh in, in, interested in seeing where that character goes next um but yeah i i think that is much to the relief of me as a viewer because we were talking earlier about how you know franchises get to the point where they feel like homework and I think that's been a feeling about the MCU in in recent years. It's starting to feel like homework. You want to understand Doctor Strange? Go watch WandaVision. You want to understand, you know, I know there's a Thunderbolts movie coming, but you're going to have to go watch all Falcon and the Winter Soldier and and Black Widow and all that. Even Ant-Man, right? There was a trailer for Ant-Man. And I said, oh, look, it's the timekeeper. And the person I was seeing the movie with was like, what? Who? And I was like, yeah, from Loki. (laughs) From Loki. Yeah, exactly. I don't remember any of that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was like, well, yeah. you better better bone up on that before seeing Ant-Man. And of course, like it's all leading to there's literally a movie in the future called The Kang Dynasty. So it's 
I, you know, no, nothing against Jonathan Majors, who's a great actor, and he's got some great stuff coming up because I, I did see that Creed three trailer, and uh, that uh, I was hooked. Um, but yeah, it's there's there's definitely a bit of homeworkism, which fortunately I don't think Black Panther indulges in, and in fact, you know, I I'm probably going to revisit uh, the original Black Panther again at uh, some point in in the near future. Um, because uh, there is a lot, again, it's a, it's a real sequel and also it, it has a great continuity to it because there's a scene at the end where Shiri says, vengeance is consuming you and it's consuming me, which is almost like word for word, a line from T'Challa in his first appearance in Captain America Civil War about his vengeance um, and avenging the, the, the death of his father in the events of that movie. So I, I think this movie has a really important lesson that can teach uh, other filmmakers in this franchise. You can be self-referential. You can introduce new characters who are going to have broader roles in the universe, but you don't have to be obnoxious about it. <laughs> yeah. You can, you can, you can be earnest. You can be emotional. You can tell a story that has a beginning, middle and end. Um, Just, I guess have Ryan Coogler direct your movie. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, the original Black Panther is definitely my favorite of the MCU films, and I would say that Black Panther Two is probably pretty close up there. Like these mm -hmm. are ones that I I see myself going back to over and mm -hmm. over again, and not needing it to be part of a rewatch of the entire. Yeah, they can stand alone. Yeah, yeah, they can stand alone, um, which is, as we said, sort of like an increasing problem. And I also think there's a pretty good setup for a third Black Panther movie um, at the end with sort of Namor's last not, last lines. And I we didn't get a chance to talk about him really, but uh, uh, Tanakh, oh, how am I pronouncing his name? Tanakh uh, Huerta Maya is really, really good. Yes. Yeah, he's he's great. I'm excited to see more. Yeah. He's not Killmonger great, but... Uh, well, who can be? I mean, <laughs> that hair, come on. Yeah, he's got pretty good hair in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody needs to know how I feel about Michael B. Jordan can go back and listen to our and, and the rest, Panther review. And the rest, of, the rest of them ain't bad either. Um, <laughs> I know I'm speaking for a lot of the ladies out there. Anyway... Uh, that is it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. You can find us again at our website, endcreditsradioshow.com. You can download this and other episodes on the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. When you're on Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on this show. Just search for End Credits on CFRU and Spotify. You can find us on social media on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show and on Twitter at End Credits Radio and Candice where can people hear all about Hallmark Christmas movies <laughs> in the weeks to come? Yes. Well, you can follow me everywhere at Sin48, uh, including Mastodon, um, which is, <laughs> you know, a thing. Um, but yes, <laughs> definitely check out Letterboxd. You can look at the 89 of 100 horror movies I did manage to watch before the end of uh, October 31st. And mm. then uh, you can watch my, uh, as I go through the Hallmark movies, which began 
airing on October 21st. So I am still actually in catch up <laughs> mode with those. Um, but as I watch them, I am sort of keeping my list. Uh, I'm, I'm moving them up and down on the list as about how good they are. So I'm actually ranking them as I go. Very important work being done. Um, if yes, you're on it's Mastodon, God's work. It's, it is God's work. Uh, speaking of God's work, I will be back here on CFRU tomorrow at 5 p.m. for News and Politics on Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz. In the meantime, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, or you can check out my News and Politics site at guelphpolitico.ca, and you can stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for more end credits, and we will see you then. Thank you.